Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Synchronicity Podcast. I am your new host, Kai, and I am joined today with my co-host, Kobe. Are you there? Yeah, hello. How are you doing today, Kobe? Uh, I'm doing quite all right. Um, I've noticed that, that Destin isn't here today. Yes, uh, I, I got news for everybody. Um, I know we've amassed quite the following, and this might come as a shock, and this might break some hearts, but damn it, it's something I got to say. Destin's no longer with us. I'm the new host. I'm taking over, man. Yeah, yeah. Really uh, bittersweet news. You know, it is what it is, and quite frankly, I think movies kind of suck, so let's take it a different direction. What do you want to talk about, man? I've been thinking about fashion a lot lately, you know? Fashion? Shirts and shoes and and pants and stuff. Right, and the socks and the belts and whatnot? Mm, Yes, yes. Belts especially. Okay, okay. Uh, What what, what kind of fashion are you into? Uh, I really like, like sheep's belts, like belts made out of sheep parts. Belts made out of sheep parts. Yeah, like, you know, spleen. Really? Is this something you pick up at Macy's or where do you find it? Sheepspleen.com. I hope that's not a real website plug right there. But, I mean, (laughs) hey, if that's what you're into, you know, some people like Gucci, some people like uh, uh, Ferragamo, and some people like Sheepspleen. Yeah, it's it's really quite revolutionary, I think. Uh, I bet it is. Um... Whoa! Um, what's going on here, guys? Oh, who the fuck is that? <laughs> We're uh, who are you? We're talking about fashion. Uh, I I think you know exactly who I am, Kobe. Mm, not ring the bell. Are, are, no. are you two trying to like steal the podcast from out under me? Did our podcast get hacked? Yeah, this doesn't sound like someone I know. Can who you guys, are you? Introduce can, yourself. Can you guys stop pretending you don't know who I am? I, I know this isn't this who is really I think weird. it is, this because is who I think boring. it might be is dead. Uh, yeah, he... Well, this is this is Destin, the, the real host of this podcast. Huh. Are you I, sure? I, no, I am not dead. I assure you. How'd, uh, how'd you get back here? Well, Kai, I mean, you, you, you tied me up pretty good, but... What? Uh, I can get out of just about any bindings. What the... F- Kai, is this true? Listen, this is clearly, I've seen this before. This is clearly an imposter sent here, maybe from the future or past, to throw slander at me. I I don't, Destin, is this true? Yeah, Kai, I have you on the podcast one time. We talk about giving you a new segment, and then what, you you crack this plot to, to make yourself the new host? The people loved me, okay, man? I'm the Ron Burgundy of this show here, man. Okay? The people bro, wanted it, quite frankly. Bro, we're recording this, like, the week after that episode went up. I don't even have the analytics on if anyone liked you. Listen, listen. I, I, I put my ear to the streets, and the streets talked, and they said, get Destin the hell out of here. Is that and that's ex- what I did. That's that what I did. Expression? Sorry I had to tie you up. Is that an expression, or is that a literal, did you actually put your ear down the street? Listen, I went outside my house, okay? I was next to the storm drain. I heard running water, and then I heard the street say it. Wow. That's that's impressive. It had to be done. I'm sorry that I tied you up. I don't know how you got out the damn knots, quite frankly. It kind of scares me. Uh, anyways, we won't go well, there. you know, this coup d'etat was pretty unexpected and kind of entertaining, but you really probably could have done without tying me up. That That was a bit far. 
Well, next time I'll take it a step further, and I guess I'll have to light you on fire. I don't know. <laughs> Are you threatening to kill me, Kai? I'm not. I'm not. I'm threatening threatening to put candles around you to give you uh, a, a dice night out. I don't know. <laughs> Cut that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. I, I I can't be on the podcast admitting to thre- or threatening to kill somebody. That's that's not what's happening here. Okay, yeah, uh, we are all absolved of any of any crimes, uh, any police that are listening, any a- agencies, any sort of thing like that. Uh, we are legally free from your rule. Listen, Dustin. Okay, I'll I'll be the bigger man here, uh huh, and I'll admit it. Yeah. Okay. Not threatening to get rid of you, nothing like that. I shouldn't have did it. It was wrong. I do not feel too bad about it. I will not lie on that front. But apologies, nothing less. Thank you, Kai. Thank you for the apologies. I guess I won't press charges now. And, you know, with all that out of the way, uh, I, I can't say that I really was expecting a, a, a coup attempt, you know, so early in the life cycle of this podcast. Uh, I always knew that my co-hosts, both of them, you know, Kobe, too. I, I don't I don't trust him. He has shifty eyes. They're they're not the most trustworthy characters. I I always knew there was a possibility of something like this happening. I just thought, you know, maybe down the line, hundreds of episodes in, you know, after after we've really got some steam rolling behind this. But apparently, no. Kai couldn't wait for that. No, sir. No, sir. If you uh, read the Art of War, I believe somewhere in there it says "strike early, strike fast" or something like that. I don't know. Okay, I can't well, read. Well, maybe sometime, Kai, we can give you a segment where you uh, you teach all of our listeners about. How to uh, best wage war. But in the meantime, how about instead of trying to take over the podcast, you do the segment that I asked you to do. Which one was that? The the news segment. News? Yeah. You want news? I do. Oh, I got news. Okay. All right. First little bit of news I got for you. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm still pretty bitter, but... Let's go. Wait, for you, it. Come on. you want the news now? I do. Yes. Let's go. Like, uh, uh, hold on a second. Uh, yeah, I got the news. Okay, buddy. <laughs> here we go. Uh, first story. Uh, let's see here. Borderlands movie has added another person to the cast. Haley Bennett as a character connected to Lilith. Um, have you seen the cast of this movie? It is. It's just getting stacked. I don't know if it's well. You know, there's people definitely in there. Kevin Hart. Sure enough, Kevin Hart. You know, I, I all three of us have have played uh, the Borderlands series. I, I think is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I played it a you, time or two. You and I, we uh, we didn't quite make it all the way through three. I I could not uh, handle the, the the villains. I guess I don't know. It just seemed a little too cheesy. Yeah, you know, maybe I'm kinda, just getting old. They lost some edge with the writing. I think they they went down an odd path. What happens? This this Borderlands movie has me kind of bizarrely intrigued. You know, Eli Roth is directing. Perfect. I heard Jack Black's in there. Yeah, Jack Black is playing Claptrap. <laughs> I'm really hoping they add The Rock, so we can kind of have the cast from Jumanji in there. Now, now, see, that's an odd thing, right? Because Kobe brought up Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart is going to be playing Roland, which if any of our listeners have played Borderlands, Kevin Hart, at least to us, seems like an odd casting for Roland. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'll give Rock, him a chance. 
The Rock could have been Roland, you know? That, that would have been, been a good casting. Only. Yeah. Maybe The Rock was too busy. Maybe he was doing some other movie we don't know about. And then he said, hey, let me put you in contact with my good friend, Kevin Hart. Well, and then yeah. the director stopped, looked at him, and said, what? That'll and do. then they went for it. That'll do. You, you, you go to get The Rock, you come back with Kevin Hart. That's like going, well, I, I can't say he's an off-brand The Rock. They are two totally different people. I like both of them. Um, I, I mean, I think the film will be entertaining. I just hope it's not... Um, well, I mean, and, and Kate Blanchett, you know, an Oscar winner in the role of Lilith. Mm, yeah. I, I None of these castings I can and I can quite see. I think we're going to get a very different feeling Borderlands movie from... Who else was the in there? The other, um, the other woman actor who's been established. I forget the name. Uh, um, Bennett? No. Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes, Jamie Lee actress. Curtis. She's also in there. I am a fan of hers. I, I, overall, I think the movie will be entertaining. Uh, I don't think it's going to be groundbreaking or anything like that, but yeah, whatever. Sign me up. I'll, I'll watch it for two and a half hours or whatever. If they just make like tennis, just a complete replicant of uh, Ellen Ripley, then maybe. But I don't see that working very well. She's kind of old. <laughs> I mean, nothing against Jamie Lee Curtis, but that just Toby, feels... Are you being ageist? Why? Why do I have to... I don't want targeted... Uh... Yeah, I'm this... being ageist. She doesn't deserve it. <laughs> There we go. There we go. Uh, it, it comes out. Kobe is ageist. <laughs> yeah. There we go. I, I can't say that I'm shocked. Um, anyways, let me get to the next news segment. Don't want to spend about another hour on this one. The next news segment, and I believe this is somebody you guys are more familiar with. I'm I'm not going to act like an expert, like I know her, that I've seen her a lot. Um, Tony Colette. Yeah. Is to make her directorial debut. Um, with a adaptation of a Lily King novel. Have you guys looked into that at all? Uh, I don't know anything about the novel that she's adapting. Apparently, it came out in 2020. I, I do read quite frequently, but uh, at least from the synopsis that I got online, it sounds like it could be interesting. But Playboys don't count. <laughs> okay. Uh, We're talking novels, Dustin. Yeah, I, I, I understand what we're talking about, Kai, but you you, you got me. You're, you're right. I, I read only editorials and magazines. <laughs> Let's just ignore the fact that you said Playboy. Uh, <laughs> at any rate, uh, I do really appreciate Toni Collette in, in just about everything she's been in. Um, Hereditary was fantastic, and she was obviously great in I'm Thinking of Ending Things, even though her role was uh, brief comparative to the rest of the cast on that movie but i'm a fan of hers and you know just like with wildlife that we watched a couple weeks back um you know i i like when some of my favorite actors you know try and bridge the gap and do directorial debuts i i have a lot of faith in her i i think that she could do something interesting i'm also kind of hoping that maybe she would choose to cast herself in it because i really like her acting yeah i think i think actors that are typically really like talented in in their in their craft are more easily able to direct because obviously you have to take into account um certain aspects of of how one would act in the scene that you write or so, that sort of thing so i feel like it comes naturally to a lot of talented actors um like paul dano yeah 
this might be my shortcoming here. I, I, I didn't do a ton of research on her. Um, kind of just ran across the story, story, mentioned it to you guys, and you, you know, you guys knew who she was. But I do remember watching Hereditary. Uh, not Wildlife. What was the other movie, Dustin, that you mentioned? Hereditary? You've no, seen Hereditary. Not, no, not Hereditary, the other one. Uh, I'm thinking of ending things. Yeah, you, I mean, you've seen those. Those both the exact were same movies as Kobe and I have. Yeah, those <laughs> a lot less. Um, <laughs> I I know, but I'm saying with Tony Collette in them, you've seen both of those. Yeah, uh, those both of those movies. I'm I'm remembering now who who she was and and how she played. And she was a very um, she she was a she was a, a, a very good actor. Um, so you know, I'm, I mean, I'll check it out. I'm not going to sit here and say I'm the biggest fan, but I, I remember those roles and, and they were done well. So, I mean, hey, let's see how it goes. And like I say, I, I was reading the synopsis and the premise sounds interesting. It sounds like, you know, it, it's an exploration of the kind of anxiety <clears throat> around um, the hell of the creative process. So, interesting. I'm yeah. Aren't you a little, a uh, little bit of a writer yourself? So, you, you know. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I and I've experienced the uh, the creative hell that comes with trying to write things. So I'm hey. I'm interested. Absolutely. Uh, moving on. I don't know how you feel about this one. I know a lot of people love this film. I might get some uh, some sideways glances when I say this. I I didn't care for this film. I didn't like this film. Um, Avatar. Avatar has re released in. I believe it was China. Yep. Um, obviously, as we know, Avatar came back or came out in 2010, um, and it actually took the top-selling global release of all time from Titanic at that point. Uh, in 2019, a little movie called Avengers: Endgame came and won that title at 2.7 uh, billion box office haul there. And as of Saturday, with Avatar's re-release, it surpassed it with 2.8. So I mean, just going right by it. Um, just, just, just a tiny bit, you know. Um, few million here, and it's it's earned its crown back. Um, like I said, I, I'm not a fan of the movie. I I think the Avatar world at I believe it's Animal Kingdom is neat. I think that's cool, great atmosphere and everything. But as far as the movie goes, not a fan. What are, what are you guys' thoughts on that one? I don't think any of us really love Avatar. I don't hate it. Uh, I I actually think that it's a, a shockingly good as a sort of mainstream kind of underhanded critique of capitalism but yeah I, I i don't love it it's it's not amazing um the the cgi has aged okay i suppose it's been a while since i've seen it but it's one of those movies that kind of got overhyped very quickly and it's really hard to pinpoint exactly where the love for it was really coming from yeah, I've always sorry. I've always felt it was kind of forgettable, honestly, which is weird because it's like, yeah, it's one of the best-selling movies of all time, or uh, like box office wise, and it it just never really resonated with me, I guess. Um, and to this day, I I think it's still just sort of another movie. It's nothing special. Battle yeah, I mean. You're not the only person who feels like that. I mean, I I think you'd be hard pressed to like go out on the street and find people who actually legitimately remember the names of characters from that movie. It's it is forgettable. And 
you know, they have all these sequels coming out for it now, too. And I mean, hey, maybe this does showcase that those sequels are going to be successful. But I, I mean, I don't know. Is, is it are they going to be as like hot and attractive to, you know, like moviegoers in the future? I think they will be. Um, as I said, I've, you know, in the past, I've gone to the, the animal kingdom, uh, where they have the whole avatar world set up. And, and as far as, you know, aesthetics, it looks fantastic. I'm uh, talking about the park and the movie. Um, I think it's interesting how it looks. I think some of the characters look cool for some reason. I don't know if it was the acting, the dialogue, um, whatever the case may be. I just was not a fan of it, but I mean, you, you go to the parks and, and you see everybody, like you mentioned, people are hyped about it. I think the film and whatever follows after it are going to do well. Um, I think it's just one of those money-making machines. Um, but as you had mentioned earlier, when it came out, I felt it was just so overhyped. I couldn't find what people were genuinely loving about it, I guess. Maybe it's something I missed. I don't know. I, um, I don't know. Maybe the movie went over my head. Who knows? I feel like it came at a time like during like the 3D craze, and it was sort of like one of those big uh, have-to-see-in-a-theater type movies. But like 2021 right. yeah 2021 though is like 3d's not even relevant uh nobody like some movies are still in 3d but like nobody cares about it i don't think it really caught on ever i i gotta agree with you back then when it did come out they were that was the big thing 3d was coming 3d tvs blah 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 everything everybody's got to see it and uh i for one i don't know about you guys i didn't see it in theaters um i remember watching it in my middle school classroom i don't know I know you guys thought I was maybe an oldie here, um, <laughs> but yeah. And they, you know, they said, Hey, it's movie day. And I was super excited. I thought we'd watch hook for the 37th time. And no, they, they hit me with the curveball and they hit me with that one. And uh, you know, <laughs> I, it was... I saw it twice right at release. My, my family loved it so much that uh, I got, I got taken to it twice in a row. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry that you had to do that. No, like I said, it's it's fine. It's not an unbearable movie. It's just it's really not. It's just not that exciting at a certain point. I mean, hey, some people like it, some people don't. Either way, it's going to make the money. Congratulations to James Cameron. Uh, world keeps on turning. Well, and you know, history has shown that these kind of movies in particular do really well in the Chinese market for whatever reason. You know, the superhero movies have all done exceedingly well in China, too. It doesn't really make sense because you'd think there'd be some, you know, cultural shift. But I don't know. I guess they can get behind, like, bombastic action. Hmm. The people want what they want. Yeah. And so, I mean, you know, it, there's been, I guess, this war of attrition between Endgame and Avatar for you know top box office numbers so you know endgame maybe they'll re-release that in china in a couple of years and it'll lose the title again <laughs> it'll be fun to watch i hope so but we'll see what happens hopefully this doesn't turn into a re-release every five ten years just trying to outdo each other at the box office so last bit of news um got another trailer for you guys looks like this is another another one from Zack Snyder. Perfect. We love our boy. Um, Army of the Dead. Dustin, you actually introduced me to this one, and uh, we decided we'd bring it onto the podcast. I'll let you go ahead and tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, well, so, you know, we're pretty much becoming a 
exclusively Zack Snyder podcast at this point. You know, we talk about the Snyder Cut constantly. We're going to watch the Snyder Cut at some point and review it. Um, I actually, on the tail end of this this story, I want to add on a little other piece of Snyder Cut news, but we'll get this out of the way first. Uh, I, I, I caught this trailer on YouTube, and, you know, it's not, like, like not even that much happens in the trailer. It's not like what we watched last week which was the uh the, the school shooting movie run hide fight it's not as special as that i guess i felt we had the whole plot in that movie in the trailer of yeah. that movie in the trailer make a lot well, of this that. one gave us just enough kind of like accurate assumptions you can make yeah yeah but so so now with this trailer uh this this new movie that snyder is releasing on netflix i guess he's you know decided to betray hbo and and warner brothers after they gave him all this money and uh creative license to do the snyder cut uh it's well you know what they say justin don't you what these hoes ain't loyal (laughs) (laughs) yeah i believe that was in a book or something i'm not sure (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't recall reading a book where, where that was a line, but I, I believe Justin, you. I know you do I don't a lot recall, of reading. I don't recall reading a book. Oh, <laughs> I had that wrong, huh? <laughs> Obviously, I'm kidding, guys. But no, go, sorry, go ahead. So, so this is like, if any one of our listeners has played Dead Rising 2, it looks like Zack Snyder has just decided to make a movie based on Dead Rising 2. <laughs> I'm in it. I like it. One little snippet I'd like to add. I mean, you looked at movies like uh, Zombieland. I mean, what was their their whole their whole premise? Actually, go back, Dustin. I'm going ahead of self. You haven't even gotten into the movie. Go ahead. That's okay. I mean, there's not that much to talk about here. Well, we didn't it even is- hit on the premise of like, hey, what this movie's about yet, really? And I was going to go into how Zombieland has a stupid premise too. Um, but I'll come back in later. Go ahead. Sorry. Okay. Uh the premise of this movie is is what had me intrigued and what I thought was kind of stupid slash funny. It's a zombie movie, which I mean, a zombie movie in 2021 feels like a little past its due date. If you ask me, I think the zombie craze is is not nearly as prevalent as it once was. So it's already surprising to see that you know, Zack Snyder wants to put all this effort into a zombie movie. But then he's he's fusing like an Ocean's Eleven-esque heist movie into the mix. This, it, apparently it's a, it's a team of like ex-US special forces mercenaries who are in the middle of a zombie apocalypse planning to rob a Vegas casino. I believe it stars, um, is it Batista in there, I believe? Yeah, Dave Batista in the main role. I don't know any of the other actors or actresses. I, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> this movie's um, pretty dead from a casting perspective. <laughs> hey, you know, sometimes you'll be shocked. It might be the person you're not familiar with that might do the, the greatest actor, acting you've ever seen. So, you know, maybe, I'm ready to be surprised. Well, um, yeah, I mean, of course. Kobe and I are, are no strangers to discovering actors through movies i mean when you're into art movies you get introduced to new actors all the time of course my thing is this let me let me let me let me pose two things to you here um i'll start off by saying the premise as silly as it is i i like zombie movies so i I think you know i'll still watch it. i think it'll be entertaining um 
you look at movies like Zombieland. I mean, what was the premise of that one? We're going to travel across the world to go to a theme park. You know what I mean? So, I mean, yeah, it's silly. I don't know why we're trying to rob a casino in a zombie apocalypse. You would think the dollar at that point is kind of useless, but whatever. And then uh, (laughs) here's the question to you. Um, Would Ocean's Eleven in that series be better with zombies? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Um, What if there were zombies? Would that, that, That would throw off Brad Pitt's entire plan. George Clooney wouldn't know what to do. Think about it. Think about it. I'm not going to say that you're wrong, but I also, well, I don't know. You know what? <laughs> you're right. I shouldn't knock it until I've seen it. Maybe, maybe it's the perfect fusion. Picture it. Clooney, Brad Pitt, disguised in the elevator. They're, they're thinking their heist is going well. Next thing they hear some zombie noises. Boom. Clooney gets bit. He goes down. Brad Pitt's sitting there. What the hell do I do? I don't know. Could have been interesting. The one positive I can say from the trailer is that the movie doesn't look like it's trying to take itself too seriously, which, you know, thank God it's a goofy premise. It shouldn't take itself seriously. I, I think a lot of zombie material does take itself too seriously. So this is, it's good that they're going for a little bit of camp, but much like every other Zack Snyder movie, it looks like a big pile of CG mess. Yeah. I'm uh I'm really glad that Zack Snyder's taking a break from his big boy movie and the Snyder cut and uh you know going for our our little peasant brains with this one um because the Snyder cut's just going to be too much to comprehend. I just did a little bit of googling here um because I I was going to make a joke maybe you'll find it funny maybe you won't but it turns out <laughs> Zack Snyder did Dawn of the Dead I believe. Um, yeah, like he, back he, in 05. He so he's already done a zombie movie. So he's not, he, he he's well adversed in this world here. But what I was going to say was maybe, and this is, this, this might be a little bit of reach back to last episode. Maybe we could do it in black and white, like Dawn of the Dead from 78 with George Romero. And, uh, you know, see what happens, you know, give it a little bit of flair. I, I don't know if we should be comparing Zack Snyder to Romero or encouraging that. Yeah, was not no. comparing the two completely he, different completely different well, one's a genius and the other one is romero so. <laughs> yeah however you want to look at it um some people might disagree I, I i'm indifferent they're they're both entertaining um so anyways that is all i got for the news i know we're pushing a little bit of time here i, I do just want to add here uh before you go kai that in in continued Snyder Cut news as we lead up to release. Oh, I forgot you had an extra little tidbit for us, a little surprise. It's a very short little tidbit. Okay. Uh, Apparently, while attempting to watch the new live-action Tom and Jerry movie on HBO Max, I I have no idea why anyone would choose to subject themselves to that. Anyway, you know, the the Tom and Jerry cartoon is a classic, but that live-action movie looks like a big old pile of hot garbage at any rate viewers of the new tom and jerry movie were apparently greeted by an accidental leak of the snyder cut about 10 days early damn i'll say um my lady had put that movie on so i have been blessed or cursed however you want to look at it to have seen part of that tom and jerry movie but you didn't get the snyder cut when you put it on I did not get the Snyder Cut when I put, on, oh, put, so put it on, and quite frankly, I don't know which one would have been worse. 
but well, you know, I'm I'm sure that there were some people who were very very happy and excited. I know that the the person who made this discovery was very excited and managed to get halfway through the movie before HBO pulled this this issue. Uh so I mean, I don't know. There's there's a few spoilers floating around, but uh, the Snyder Cut is the one movie that I I cannot allow to be spoiled for myself. I, uh, you know, my thoughts on, on the original justice league, one of my least favorite, but, um, all jokes aside, uh, Snyder can be entertaining. I'll give it a shot. I'll check it out. I'm not going to watch it in black and white. I'll pass on that one. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. All right. Probably well, going to be one of the best for, uh, films. What was that, Kobe? Oh, nothing, 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 nothing. I'm just thank lamenting you. about the Snyder cut. Sorry. Thanks for doing the news segment, Kai. Thanks. Thanks for coming back. You're well, welcome. We're always glad to have you. You're welcome. Um, again, I'm sorry I shouldn't have did what I did. I shouldn't have tried to take over the podcast. Uh, no, you should not have. I wish I could tell you that it was the last time. But you and I are going to have some words uh, after the podcast is is done. But this, uh, to be honest with you, this was just the beginning. What does that mean? <laughs> what do you mean? What does it mean? This is just the beginning. I'm planning a lot of stuff. I'm planning to take over the podcast. I'm telling you now. He is, Dustin. Does this mean that you're going to try something again? I don't know. Let's just say that there's know. something in the works. There could oh, be. Are you helping him? No. What? what do you mean? Listen, let me get on out of here become, before this becomes another two-part episode. Okay? <laughs> the people want their, 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 their podcast and uh, digestible sessions. Let's not go for the five-hour mark. But you keep your eyes open, and I will be back. Okay. Thanks. On guys. that note, I am out. Blast off. See ya. Farewell, Kai. There he goes, everybody. There he goes. In his spaceship. Blasting off again. <laughs> all right, Kobe, how are you doing? Uh, I'm quite well after all that news. I feel good. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, well, so with the news out of the way, I suppose it's finally time for us to introduce uh, the movie that Kobe and I decided to watch this week. So uh, I know, you know, it was only two episodes ago that we watched... Dr. Strangelove, but Kobe and I decided to dive right back into the filmography of Kubrick. Uh, we watched for this episode his period epic, Barry Lyndon. This is my second foray into Kubrick now. As, as I said, when we watched Dr. Strangelove, I, I've neglected, you know, one of the greatest directors of all time. And I'm slowly working my way through fixing that. And Barry Lyndon has has always been really high on my list. Um, it's it's probably the Kubrick movie that I've wanted to see the most because you know I've always liked period pieces, and so I was really drawn to it from that perspective. But I've also really been getting into the technical side of making movies, and you know he he there were so many interesting techniques that were used in the lighting and the filming in this movie, so that uh, attracted it to me too. Mm. it's one of the most intriguing aspects of it yeah i mean it's it's a really interesting story and there's about a million documentaries and we're of course going to have to touch on some of that and you know it's it's another one of those situations right i I just i really can't quite explain why i haven't watched it before now (laughs) (laughs) i've i've had the criterion edition blu-ray sitting on my shelf for like a year and a half now and so many times i've reached for it and 
thought, well, I'm going to watch it today. And then I end up putting it back and I grab something else. I, you know, I think it's, it's one of those things where you look at the runtime and it, it just gets a little intimidating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I had to set aside like a whole afternoon, but I'm, I'm glad I did. So. Yeah. And you know, it, I, I appreciate long movies. I I'm a fan of the Lord of the Rings trilogy and I can get behind a long runtime, but when you look at, you know, three hours and, and nine minutes, I think I have that right. It mm-hmm. you, you just go, oh, you know, like, <laughs> do I want to, do I want to spend three hours unbroken watching this movie? Yeah. It's, it's quite an undertaking. And my favorite movie is like three hours. I don't remember the exact runtime, but yeah, it's, uh, I've gotten into it more, but even as I watch more and more films, it's like seeing certain runtimes. I'm just like thinking, oh man, am I ready to do this right now? Yeah. It's what's kept me from jumping on to the Irishman. You know, I've wanted to see that for a long time ever since it released on Netflix too. But that's even more of an undertaking than this. Yeah. Four hours. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? The Snyder Cut is is, is the same kind of undertaking. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. I can't wait for that. At any rate, uh, Barry Lyndon was, of course, as I mentioned, directed by Stanley Kubrick. It is a 1975 adaptation of William McPeace Thackeray's novel. It's a chronicle of the life and times of Redmond Barry, later Redmond Barry Lyndon, a charismatic young Irishman who, after needing to make a hasty retreat from his home, goes on to experience a wild and fraught series of adventures ranging through tragedy and comedy. Along the way, he meets a milieu of colorful characters that shape his journey. Kobe, I, I know you were you were really excited to to do an episode on this one. You really pulled for this after Absolutely. you got the Blu-ray. Absolutely. Why don't you go first? Okay. Um, I just want to start out uh, with this. I'm a I'm a huge Kubrick fan. Uh, I think I said this during the the Doctor Strange Love episode too. But yeah, I was kind of excited for this one because. Uh, it's one of the, I think it's one of the more underappreciated uh, Kubrick movies, um, and this is my first viewing, and I'm still like ready to say that this is easily in my top five, um, or like top three even. Uh, it's kind of insane, the the places that I went through my viewing of this movie, like from beginning to end, I felt like I I experienced like 30 different changes in how I was feeling and, and that sort of thing. Um, and I don't even know where to start with it because I, I, I like so many elements of it, but I think one of the most in, impressive aspects is how compositionally interesting it is. And uh, <laughs> it's like kind of ridiculous to say, but the phrase every frame a painting is the perfect description for this movie. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the the natural lighting that they use, uh, the framing, the blocking, everything comes together so well. It It's like you can tell Kubrick sat for hours tirelessly like studying paintings from the time from like French artists and, and uh, British artists, that sort of thing, and just sat and looked at paintings and decided that's what I want that shot to look like. Um, there are countless examples of just like the most perfectly rounded shots. And I know that doesn't excite some people, but truly it's, it's 
such a beautiful movie and coming from uh 75 is it yeah uh it's just absolutely impressive and i feel like every kubrick film i watch is just impressive and impressive impressive over and over again uh really driving my my need to see all of his films Uh, this is just absolutely mesmerizing you touch on the fact that it's from 1975 and you know you almost sound surprised by that and i couldn't agree more like when you watch a movie from any era there's usually some kind of tinge of the time Mm -hmm. surrounding it not here this doesn't feel like a movie that came out in the 70s I don't know if it's because the technology was so impressive or the fact that the natural lighting allowed it to feel new and and fresh and Mm -hmm. continues to do so. But this does not feel like a movie that came out in the seventies, not in the least. No. And, you know, I really want to touch on too, you know, getting into like the, the composition of this movie. As I said, it is three hours and like nine minutes long. It's a long movie, and that was intimidating. But once you're into it, it does not feel like that. Mm-hmm. And as I, as I sit here and I recall scenes from the movie and I think about it, I think about what I watched and what I liked about it, it doesn't feel like I sat through a three-hour movie. It, it feels like I sat through a blank. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's know, like never not visually interesting. Yeah, I mean, visuals, but also the way that the story is formatted, it's mm. it's never not interesting. It always keeps you invested because Barry's story is really engaging and the flow is really consistent. You know, it you have from the start of the movie to the end of the movie, this journey that Barry goes on, you know, starting from the humble beginnings in the Irish countryside. And, you know, he, he falls in love with his cousin and he's drawn into this family conspiracy because he, he, he doesn't want her to marry this, you know, I guess, middle petite bourgeoisie, uh, British British Army captain mm-hmm. that can can bring in a a salary of fifteen hundred a year, and so he he wants to duel this man for the heart of his cousin, and he thinks he kills this guy, and we learn later on in the movie. Of course, you know I should have mentioned earlier. This is as as always with our podcast going to be a spoiler discussion, but we discover shortly there and after that his family tricked him and the captain that he thought he killed is still alive. So that, you know, this whole like driving force to get him to run from the Irish countryside never really existed. They just, you know, did what they did to get him out of the picture. Right. And, and so there's all these like beats that kind of mold and form Barry into the character that he becomes. And, it really, it's it's like an adventure. It, 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 it we, I, I feel like we keep watching movies where we, we make comparisons to the Odyssey, mm-hmm. but Barry's journey is kind of an Odyssey. You know, it's it goes through like all these different stages, and he goes through all these different times of existence in 18th century England and you know the surrounding Greater Europe. 
that they're just colorful and interesting. That's the best way I can put it. Yeah, and and like Barry's character, you can clearly see it change throughout the story, and you can tell what the motivation is. And um, as things change, which they do a lot, like over and over again, you, you're getting more and more uh, deep into this this upper lifestyle uh, that Barry's living. All of a sudden, uh, not all of a sudden, specifically not all of a sudden. Uh, no, it's like, I mean he he plans for it, and yeah. it's well executed. He, you know, it pays off for him. And it's like this this really great uphill uh, thing, and you're not sure whether to feel happy for him or sort of like uh, maybe this is getting too far, or maybe you're you're becoming less like yourself. And the the downfall sort of begins, and you just you feel like this disgust uh, of, of what he's become, and it's it's so I guess it sounds overdone, maybe. Uh, like this sort of story of of the rise and fall of a character, but it, it does feel uniquely interesting the whole way through. Yeah, and before we get like too deep into the movie, and you know, we get to this point in the arc where he, you know, kind of joins the upper crust of society, the bourgeoisie. Uh, I want to touch on a, a scene that I found really entertaining and and funny. Uh, just after Barry is forced to leave his childhood home where he's lived his entire life, he is accosted by two highwaymen. And they, they're they two men of some small degree of fame in the area. Barry recognizes them. But what I liked so much about this encounter is is how, you know, despite the fact that they have pistols trained on him, they're polite through the entire encounter. It's the most like polite, well-mannered execution of a highwayman robbery that I've ever seen. Yeah. It's, it's sort of, uh, it's almost like playful, despite the fact that it's, uh, it's, they're literally robbing him of pretty much everything he has. Um, and I really like that aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I say, Barry's been forced to leave his home and he only has these 20 guinea to his name. And and here he is losing the the his life savings <laughs> by this point, you know everything that he had to make a new start in Dublin, but you know losing that is also what you know kind of pushes him into the role that eventually leads him to the success, I suppose, where he does wind up, mm-hmm. and he may very well have never reached that point otherwise. It is it is a really crazy. Uh, arc like uh, how he goes from essentially rock bottom to the British army to the Prussian army to uh, you know living with a, an aristocrat into his own aristocracy that sort of thing yeah and you know the the, the whole bit with the Prussian army is really interesting I think too you know he's he's been in the British army for a little while now and you know he he's befriended this captain captain grogan Hmm. he befriended him earlier in the movie this is you know someone that he he instantly made friends with and he was part of this plot to uh trick barry early on in the movie but he he's 
he likes Barry. He's close with Barry. And, you know, his, his, the money that he's won from executing this plan to keep Barry away from his cousin is, uh, he wants to share it with Barry. He's, he's a very good guy, Captain Mm -hmm. Grogan. But very shortly after they're reintroduced to each other, Captain Grogan dies in the line of duty. And, you know, this is kind of a, a turning point for Barry where he sees the horror of war and he realizes that, like, the, you know, stories and the the bravado around it are really kind of made up and bolstered on the, you know, like, like everyone thinks you should go off and be a courageous soldier and win glory. And now he realizes that, well, death can come just as easily. And there's a very strong chance that I'm going to die and never win any glory and never get anywhere. So he, you know, makes the decision to desert. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I want to say over Barry's entire arc up until like the, very end of the movie he's very lucky mm, yeah he seems to just stumble into lucky situations that work in his favor he constantly it seems to be almost a dance of good luck and bad luck where he'll get lucky and, and stumble upon this once in a lifetime situation be able to spirit himself away from the army uh, by pretending to be an officer but then after riding, you know, through the Prussia-controlled lands, encounters the very, very militaristically inclined uh, Captain Potsdorf. And this is where the bad luck strikes, because this guy is far too shrewd and very, very quickly sees through Barry's lies. And, and now, all of a sudden, he is conscripted into the Prussian military. <laughs> and then like then he he, it's it is it is good luck and bad luck because yeah of course he constantly (laughs) he runs into the fact that this 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 new prussian guy is crushed by this uh this scaffolding and he decides to rescue him which gets him like his own honor in the prussian army and then he's he's one to be trusted all of a sudden and he's this uh sort of higher it's weird. He's he's an Irish man in a Prussian army, but he's one of the higher distinguished members. And obviously they, they trust him enough to put him on this other mission that will uh, drive his good luck forward even more and that he gets to live with this aristocrat and pretend to you know work against him. It's it's not like quite consistent pattern is like good luck, bad luck, but it's like you're always unsure of what's going to happen because you're not sure if it's going to be good luck this time or another bad thing to put Barry down a notch, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the Chevalier, you know, the, the aristocrat that he meets in Germany is he could have, he was English, you know, he could have been any other nationality and it wouldn't have worked in Barry's favor. He would have ended up, (laughs) living his entire life out in Germany in the servitude of, you know, the, this Captain Potsdorf that, you know, thinks he's super loyal, <laughs> like, like a dog, basically, now. Yeah, and 
well, obviously to encounter another countryman so far away from home that is willing to take you on as as like a as a partner uh, is obviously exceedingly lucky. And uh, the fact that Barry can play with money and, and sort of mess with like rich people, it, he's very lucky in that regard. Um, and I think there's like starting with with uh, the aristocrat, the, Chev- the Chevalier. Ah, why can't I say that word? Chevalier. Chevalier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it kind of starts with that to this long stretch of of good luck. So good for Barry, maybe bad for the viewer, depending on how you're feeling about Barry. You're like, oh, I don't don't go down this path, that sort of thing. Um, and I think it lulls you into a sense of security before sort of uh, ripping the mat out from underneath you. And I like how much I like how much this film plays with uh, rock bottom and the very top of the tower. Yeah, you know, after he meets the Chevalier, like you say, that's when his luck really starts to take like a a long term turn. Mm-hmm. You know, he's they they escape Prussia or Germany, um, and they for a few years kind of travel around messing with the aristocracy and, um, you know, kind of. I mean, they're they're cheating and they're gambling. It's kind of a Robin Hoody thing, although you know, I mean, they're not really giving to the poor; <laughs> they're, <laughs> yeah. they're giving to themselves. <laughs> but it's through this, you know, temporary career with this man that he's met that has kind of swept him up that he eventually decides that he wants to marry into the upper crust and and become a, a real nobleman right himself and yeah. you know he he sets his sights on this beautiful and elegant woman woman who is married to this you know really important figure in british politics and he kind of hatches this plan you know like the the narration at this point in the movie is very clear that after his cousin you know any any inclination towards romance has kind of died out for Barry. Mm-hmm. Any goal that he has in attempting to woo this woman and take her for himself is entirely and self-centeredly built around this idea that he wants to just penetrate the upper crust of society. Mm-hmm. And he executes it very well. I mean, he he seduces this woman and and it doesn't take long for him to completely ingratiate himself into her company <laughs> and you know his lucky streak continues uh, unless i misunderstood i i mean i don't know did they did they poison her uh former husband i don't think so it seems like he just got lucky and it just happened to not take long for this ailing man to die it sort of felt like like this man had literally died of of like Anger. anger yeah like <laughs> like barry had stepped into his life and then he is immediately just come on like the, like i'm on a downhill now i'm going to die because of how mad this guy makes me it's well and i mean this this guy was not in a good state <laughs> no no you know he had gout he was being pushed around in a 
in a wheelchair. He he wasn't long for the world anyway. I mean, it's, you look at like this beautiful creature next to him, uh, you know, with her fine little lordly son. And then you have this gremlin of a man <laughs> riding around in this wheelchair. And you're like, it, it's it's like when you're out and you, you, you know, you see like a, a really old man with a young woman and you're kind of like, that's an odd relationship, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, it, it feels it feels oddly. Um, there's like an there's like an aspect of me that was like rooting for Barry. Like, yeah, get this weird guy, this weird dying man away from away from her. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It's Barry doesn't quite stoop to that level, but he's not much better for her. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. His yeah. motivations are entirely self centered. He just he's exclusively interested in the inroad to society and wealth, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the woman, uh, the, the lady Lyndon ultimately doesn't really matter to him. She's really just a means to an end. Mm-hmm. And so you really like, as, as time goes on, you really start to feel bad for her because, you know, she was seduced. She fell in love with Barry and, you know, you, you don't like watching him as he's being adulterous and, you know, fleeting her money away on Mm -hmm. pointless things. It's hard. Yeah. And I think there's, um, there's a point where he's sort of brought back into reality for a bit when his, his own natural born son is brought into the world. Um, Brian, uh, where he, he sort of connects with Brian, I think, and that it's his own blood and he feels um, perhaps there's no reason to take advantage of my own son on this road. I've already reached pretty much the top of what I can, what I can grasp. And I might as well um, share something with someone that I know is close to me because of blood or whatever it might be. So, uh, I especially like the, uh, the sort of contrast between Lord Bullingdon and Brian in that Barry clearly cares for this this natural-born son more than this kid who's basically just a, a leech off of him and the woman he's trying to take advantage of. Well, and, you know, he may view Bullingdon as a leech, but ultimately, like, the biggest threat to Barry and his power that he has accrued is Lord Bullingdon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because as the son of the Lady Lyndon and her original husband, he has the rights to the estate and the wealth. You know, I mean, he would have to get Bullingdon out of the way. He doesn't have any pull towards that. It almost feels like um, he's expressly loving and and genuinely caring for his real son as like a slight to Lord Bullingdon. Not that Lord Bullingdon would care very much because he makes it clear many times how much he has a distaste for Barry. But um, it's both funny and sad to see how differently Barry treats Lord Bullingdon and his own son. Um, And I'm still rooting for Barry, despite the fact that I know I should be rooting for someone like Lord Bullingdon, who's expressly concerned with, with like protecting his mother. 
Yeah, like Lord Bullingdon's goals are entirely centered around caring for his mother. You know, he right from when Barry started making these plans to wed her, you know, he he seemed to be a, a pretty intelligent kid and he he seemed to figure out what was going on very quickly mm-hmm. and what Barry's actual aspirations were. And so everything that every action that he takes as he's growing up is entirely centered around trying to protect his mother. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like he's concerned for himself and and his own loss of wealth. He's entirely concerned for his mother and her fortune and her place in life. Mm-hmm. But it is it is a good contrast, you know, like he Barry is a and the narration makes this clear too, you know, Barry is a very good father to Brian. He's despite all of his other failings in in life and his other vices he is a good father mm-hmm. but he's a horrible stepfather to lord bullingdon <laughs> yeah so i mean at any point just by treating lord bullingdon better you know there could have been an entirely different result in the end of the movie like bullingdon might have overlooked some things even yeah but you know, right from the get-go, he was very cruel, and and it didn't help his case. I I do like quite a bit how we're not supposed to like Barry, obviously, um, since he's he's getting lost in his own wealth and uh, goals. But towards the end of the film, uh, he's clearly tired of it all. He's he's not quite um like ready to be like okay i'm i'm good again but he's very clearly trying to be better than he was um or i wouldn't say that even i would say that he's maybe he's just too tired of it all to really care all that much um and one of the one of the best shots in this in this movie i think is when lord bullingdon comes back to the estate to to challenge um, Barry to a duel and Barry's sitting there in his chair, completely slumped out with his, his feet just dangling and his arms are off to the side of the chair. He just looks absolutely miserable. Um, Obviously this, this comes after a point where um, Barry loses Brian, his one true love, I think at this point in his life. Um, so he's in this this bout of depression, which I think helps him sort of realize um, what he's done and where he is currently. Uh, and when they do duel, uh, Barry, this is this way could be, or this scene could be interpreted in a couple number of ways. But I, I sort of took it as um, Barry deciding to let Bullingdon win as a like a like an apology or that sort of thing when he uh, wastes his shot by shooting the ground. Um, I, I really like the, the handling of Barry's depression and his sort of um, his lapse in, in thinking about where he's gone and where he's, where he's come to um, and how he could sort of escape that uh, upper echelon lifestyle. Uh, I quite I quite like that aspect. Well, and I think, you know, it's 
it's important to to point out that prior to Brian's death, Barry and his mother, who ends up being a very manipulative force after, you know, they they bring her out of the Irish countryside, mm-hmm. they they're both actively trying to figure out how best to gain control of the estate so that in the event that the Lady Linden were to pass, that fortune would would go to Barry mm-hmm. and not to Bullingdon. Right. And they were very, very close to succeeding in that. Barry was, you know, greasing all the right hands to make that plan work. But then he, in front of all of these assorted nobles, loses his temper at Bullingdon as Bullingdon is, you know, making his grand statement that he's going to leave the estate and that he's he's done being bullied by Barry and you know he brings Brian out in his shoes and he makes a big show out of it. He makes this dramatic production. Mm-hmm. And Barry loses his temper and starts beating Lord Bullingdon in front of all of these aristocrats. And this kind of ostracizes him from that upper echelon society like before the depression before brian's death before any of that even happens mm-hmm. after he does this after they hear what bullingdon has to say after they witness this action they want nothing to do with him right and then you know that kind of feeds into him continuing to spend all this money and i mean they're really really tapping into uh whatever fortune this woman has at this point um and his his plan kind of fails and he's just barely hanging on at this point and of course that is when you know being the doting father that he is he decides that you know his his son wants a, a horse and not a pony in this you know kind of parental manipulation he's like well my my friend, you know, his father takes him hunting on a horse and he's only a year older than me. <laughs> and, you know, so so Barry is, of course, as we said, a loving father to Brian. And he decides, I, I can do that for him. It, it, his birthday's coming up. I, you know, that I'm sure it'll be fine. And of course, it ends up not being fine. You know, they forbid Brian from going and seeing the horse until his birthday. And they make him promise to only ride the horse when Barry's there. But Brian ignores this and he runs off to go see his horse and decides to ride it out of the stable. And well, you know, that's there. There's how it happens. The horse, mm-hmm. of course, bucks him off. He's far too young to be riding a horse that size and he doesn't know what he's doing. So he ends up dying and you know, that kind of lands squarely on Barry for giving him this horse and not thinking more responsibly about it. And mm-hmm. and there that leads into his depression. And yeah, I don't know. I, it's like I said, the, the pacing of this movie is really consistent and at no point feels like three hours because everything that happens is so interesting and it just weaves into the next beautifully. Right. I have to say the scene um, where... Brian's lying in his deathbed talking to uh, his parents is uh, genuinely heartbreaking. It's uh, I, I quite like that scene a lot. Um, I think uh, 
dialogue and performance wise, it's it's one of the strongest, uh, maybe strongest scenes in that entire section. Um, I can't even. I don't know. There's just something about it that really resonated with me, um, and I guess that's when I started to feel really bad for uh, for Barry, um, despite all of his shortcomings and uh, perhaps causes of this of this exact accident. Yeah, I mean it's the low of lows. You know, little Brian realizes that he's dying, which I think makes it almost harder than if if he didn't and they just like kept lying to him they they of course try that they try to give him these little white lies that he's going to be fine but mm-hmm. he's intuitive enough in his little child body to realize that he is dying and you know he he says all these like i i, I can't feel anything except for my fingers and he doesn't seem scared he's like weirdly at peace mm-hmm. but his parents are both horribly broken up over this. This is like one of the most emotional points for Barry himself. Mm-hmm. This is like the most we've seen him break down up until this point. And so it's it's hard to watch as this little kid is like accepting his death, his his inevitable demise, but his parents there are are struggling to accept it. Yeah, it's I just I just really like emotional moments. I I like really genuine feeling moments, and that's one of the one of the best ones I think. And they're they're littered littered throughout the film, but yeah, that's that's definitely Barry's lowest point, like you said. Yeah, and you know, like I was saying when I was introducing the movie, um, the the technical aspects of this movie are, are really appealing to me. Um. Well before I watched this movie, I, I think I've probably seen a combined total of like two hours of analysis and behind the scenes documentary on how the lighting for this movie was handled. You know, like this movie stands as like a sterling example of naturalistic lighting mm-hmm. in movies and really impressive for the time too. Like, so so most of the all of the low light shots or most of them anyway are shot purely with candlelight mm. and now I, many of our listeners might not understand exactly why that's impressive but anyone who has used cameras before will understand how difficult shooting in low light conditions is now you take that and you consider the fact that in 1975, sure, the cameras they were using for this movie were top of the line, state of the art. Mm-hmm. But the film that they were using, I believe, in this era was still rated at like 200 ISO or 400 ISO. So this is this is not film that is meant to be shooting in, in dark conditions like this. Mm-hmm. Like at the time, Hollywood sound stages would always, always, always have really glaring studio light because it's what you needed to get a clean picture out of this low ISO film. And so they used all these like tactics to to get around the limitations of the film. Like they they put up these reflectors above where the candlelight candlelight would be to to you know bathe the room in more light. 
they used like really uh, wide aperture cameras, um, like really, really fast lenses, like, you know, 0.95. And normally if you're, if you're shooting like that, you would, you would get all this like bokeh effect on the outlines and, you know, they would blur the surrounding area, but these lenses that they used were, you know, very clearly (laughs) expensive, expensive, unbelievable things. And it doesn't really lose any sharpness in these night scenes. Like the, the entire movie is beautiful. It's gorgeous, but the, the scenes that stand out to me and I knew that they would are all of the scenes where they're inside and it's night there's a, like a whole series of them when Barry is traveling with the Chevalier and they're gambling, you know, they have all these people in just brilliant costuming sitting around tables with all this natural candlelight. And it's, it's stunning. Mm-hmm. It's stunning. It, I, I feel like it'd be hard to find a, a director who could work that well with the light, even with today's modern cameras. <laughs> it's, it's one of the tr- most truly like immersive films I've ever seen in that regard. Uh, costuming, lighting, whatever it might be. It, it feels so real and at the same time, like whimsically unreal, I guess. Um, Real enough, real enough to where I can I can feel super immersed, but whimsical enough to where I I can still feel like there's an aspect of fairy tale here. I guess. Well, I, you know, I think that pretty much sums up all of our thoughts on Barry Lyndon. Unless you had anything else to add, Kobe? No, that's that's about it. I want to I want to say uh before we end this episode uh, I also really like and uh, this movie reminded me of the uh, 2018 movie by Yorgos Lanthimos the favorite mm. I'm now that Kobe has seen this and with how much he loved this one he, Kobe has seen the lobster and he liked it enough I but I'm I'm making a real push for uh Kobe to see the favorite and I would I would like to do an episode <laughs> on that too cuz I really like the like 17th, 18th century period for uh, period pieces and like historical epics. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm, I'm down for any historical epic, honestly. All right. Well, so if you were going to give it a rating, Kobe, uh, I'm assuming it's going to be pretty high if you said it was in your top five. What do you give it? Well, I think we can uh, all guess. Uh, yeah, I think this is going to be the first uh, the first five of the podcast for me. Um, I genuinely, I, I have no problems with this film. Yeah, it, it, it's a five for me too. <laughs> it's it's pretty much perfection in every way. If you can make a three hour movie not feel like three hours, like you're already doing something right. Mm-hmm. And then with the beautiful imagery and the wonderful technical work and the brilliant acting and the just consistent flow of the story. Yeah, it, it's a five. This This is really, really, really good. Please watch it. No, no joke. Just honestly, if you haven't, um, if you've seen like uh, the bigger Kubrick films and, and The Shining and um, Full Metal Jacket, that sort of thing, uh, Barry Lyndon should be in your top three, like priority list. I think 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I'm not speaking from experience because I still need to watch those more well-known Kubrick movies. But yeah, no, I mean, if if you are the kind of person that like watches The Crown or watches any of these other like modern period miniseries, you have no excuse for not going and watching this. You will love it. Uh, Well, I I guess that's all we got for you folks. Uh, Hopefully. This was a, 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 an interesting episode for all of you. I sure am enjoying my time getting into Kubrick and, you know, there'll be more to come in the future. Absolutely. Cannot wait. Uh, yeah. I have returned. Oh boy. It's Kai. Oh boy. I have <laughs> there he is, returned. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> What's going on? What did I miss? Uh, an entire podcast. <laughs> oh. Well, I don't know, man. Catch us next week when we review Hubie Halloween. That's that's not what's happening next week. It's not what's well, happening. Maybe it is. No, 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 no. It's no, not no. just watch you know, it. It's, it's not great timing being the middle of March. I feel like we should watch <laughs> Hubie Halloween leading up to Halloween. But you know what? Sure, Kai. Hubie Halloween. It's going to be a drastic change next episode. Period piece, period piece this week. Adam Sandler next. Okay. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you all for joining us. (laughs) All right. Bye, everybody.